my approach is when you hire an employee, when you manage an employee, like you're committing yourself to long-term for that person. Welcome to another episode of Marketers Talking Marketing. Today I'm joined by Amber and we're going to talk about employee advocacy and B2B. Amber, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about what you're doing? Hey y'all. Um, my name is Amber Rhodes and I am first and foremost a reader and reality TV lover. And then after that, I'm a marketer. <laughs> I do social and communications for user gems, which is a B2B software for pipeline generation. Love reality TV also. I've spent many, many times, uh, many times. I was going to say many hours. And then I was like, oh, have yeah, it's been days worth of time, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, I also love social media. I love reality TV. And I think something that in the B2B space people forget is that we're all human and you're selling to humans. And there is a ton of overlap between human social media experiences like live tweeting television shows, you know, posting on Instagram with friends and how B2B brands can interact with their employees and their customers and prospects and everyone there. Do you, does that resonate with your approach to it also? Do you feel like that's true? What's your, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think like when I started, the uh, some people were talking like B2B doesn't have to be boring, which is kind of an old line now, but it holds true for me where if this experience of business to business, like marketing for it, why are we marketing as if people are like robots that don't have opinions or thoughts or watch TV or whatever, like we should be using memes, we should be using casual language and just these things that I wasn't seeing a ton of on LinkedIn. And part of that was my fault because it just wasn't curated to show me the more human side of B2B. But I have found that it's the most effective at like starting conversations because it is human. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I recognize that you're a person and that you're not like an AI just trying to read what I'm saying. <laughs> There's this idea. Have you heard about the theory that the internet is dead? Oh my God, no. Tell me more. Oh like, my rip, God, but me, tell me more. Let me send you down a wormhole after this recording. There's an idea that the internet died in like 2017, 2018, and that a majority of the internet, as we would see it looking at it from the outside, a majority of the internet is AI and bots tweeting out content, writing content, producing content, and then it's all getting engaged with with bots. And so a lot of the internet is just bots talking to bots. Like if you think about SEO, a lot of SEO writing is writing is writing for an algorithm mm-hmm. to decide to surface your content. And there are companies that I'm not saying, I'm not saying you do it, I'm not saying everyone does it. If you're listening, don't get offended. But there are a lot of people that buy traffic, that buy clicks, that buy engagement. And so you're essentially like producing content to optimize a bot, an algorithm that then is going to serve your content to ultimately a lot of bots because a lot of social media is fake. There's a lot of bot traffic everywhere. So the idea is that the, I don't think the internet is dead. I do think it, there's some validity to it though. Like all good conspiracy theories have a little bit of truth in them, but it's just a lot of bots for bots. Yeah. Like the shadow internet. The yeah. <laughs> the um connection between the internet being dead and our life being, being dead is like this Venn diagram that connects. Have you you know that conspiracy theory? No. <gasps> There's a conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne died like oh, a I long know. time. Oh, I have ago, heard. And that okay, it's so I have her heard doppelganger. That. So yeah, like, I forgot about that for a minute. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm always here to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Updated podcast topic, conspiracy theories. <laughs> I I have a few. I have a few B2B ones as well. Well, I also okay, what is your what's your go what's your number one top of mind B2B conspiracy theory? I think some of the uh hiring and firing practices right now are a way to take control away from employees who are getting a little maybe too rambunctious asking for money. I I will say, okay, where I thought you were gonna go with that is a conspiracy theory that I have around it. I think a lot of the job postings that we see are not real. Duh. Okay. Tell me why. Yes. So uh, a lot of companies, one of their big metrics of company health and growth is employee headcount size, which is partially how we saw ourselves in the situation where companies can't afford their employees. And I've noticed this though, even pre, pre layoffs, there are a lot of companies that have really generic job postings that I've seen open forever but it's not the same posting, they'll refresh it. And so I think a lot of the jobs that are posted online are not real jobs. The company is saying they're hiring for something, they're not actually hiring for it, not hiring at all. But if you apply and you're, at a, if you apply and you're coming from a competitor, they'll talk to you. Oh. So they're just using it as a mechanism to like gather information and talk to people, but they're not actually hiring. A lot of the companies that are going through major layoffs right now, there is... I've seen it firsthand. I do not know why there are not more lawsuits coming out of it, but I've seen firsthand a lot of experienced employees, senior employees who are probably asking for raises and trying to like unionize perhaps in their location. A lot of them are being impacted by it because I think layoffs are a way to sweep a lot of people under the rug with it. But I've seen a lot of companies where they're laying off roles and they're hiring right away. They have job postings up right away. I don't think they're real. I think a lot of job postings are fake. Interesting. Yeah. I assumed that they were real, but at a lower level, so that they could bring people in. With that's what a they're lower doing. Salary. That's what they're that, doing. Is they're hiring your? Yeah, your, they're firing your. I saw it firsthand at a company. I was so mad. I'm still angry about it. Uh, a lot of what I do is just driven by rage. <laughs> but they fired a handful of individuals over forty, and then immediately backfilled to twenty-some-year-olds. It's like, what's going on? What's the messaging here? And like, well, we can't afford experienced talent, so we need to we need to hire an experienced talent. But then you have these companies where your experienced people, who are the ones that probably like built your code base, who understand how things work natively, who because who, they built it, they know what it is, and they probably have shitty documentation because they built this stuff a long time ago. They're the ones getting let go. And then you have this entire rung of 20-somethings that are coming in and really without the title being asked to backfill the work that employees that have their lifetime of experience have been doing. It's going to make really, really interesting employees in 10 years. You have a lot of 20 somethings that are like CMOs and shit because they came into a complete mess during layoffs and they just crushed it. And they had opportunities that most people wouldn't have. And then you're going to have employees that came in and totally like failed because they have no leadership and guidance who then internalize it and think that they're horrible people because they sucked at this job at a company that laid off all their senior talent. It's going to be real weird. It's going to be a real world, really weird workforce with it. Yeah. It's going to be like the great resignation is going to be cyclical yeah. is what I imagine is that what we were saying that was so strange in the new, like what was so strange that it got its own name is now going to be something that we see yeah, like on a cycle. Yeah. But I don't think those job postings are real. 
I had another conspiracy theory I was gonna say, but I I totally I totally spaced on it. <laughs> That's one though that I I've told a couple people. I think there's yeah. I don't have any data. I it, I'll gather some data on it. It definitely makes sense as like even if they uh, aren't trying like out right well no i do i do think that there are scams sometimes like especially in creative roles marketing like content is social and part of the interview process is like what would you do if you were to come in like what would you change and they really are there are people that will just farm information i am sure of it and they make it a requirement of the interview process to submit like writing samples or whatever yeah to do homework and it's uh, what do we do yeah. in that? So let me turn this back on you. What do we do in that situation? Like, I if say I'm no, creative, and I walk you say away. No, yeah, you don't put like you're not like I'll do it for I'll, I'll like, invoice you. Well, okay, so that's that's where we go. I think you have a couple avenues for it. One is, I do think that it's good to it's good to put out something that's going to challenge how someone walks through a process and thinks about it. So what I usually as a hiring manager do is I will create like a totally fake company, fake scenario. And then I'll say, here's all your data. Like, tell me like take, and I'll say, take 45 minutes to an hour and tell me what you would like, what your response would be or what your, what your campaign would be or what you think about it. I went to, I interviewed for a company once I was interviewing for VP roles and I interviewed it. Like I put my application on and I say to 10 to 15 companies. And they're all ones that I had some connection with. So like no one random of them, almost all of them asked me like, you know, we, part of your responsibility would be building our overall strategy. So we want you to just put together what a Q1 strategy would look like for us. It wasn't even Q1. I said Q1. It wasn't because I just did a Q1 strategy for someone. It was a year strategy. What would it look like? And we want to see like metrics, like how would you measure it? What would your goals be? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not building you because their idea is you build it, we'll hire you, execute it. That's what they want you to think. And I was like, no. I'm like, I will send you examples of strategy that I've done. And I have a deck I put together of like anonymized shit that I've done. I'll send you that, but I'm not going to sit down and like make you a strategy because even if you do not hire me because of something else, I'm always going to assume if you do anything for my deck, I'm going to assume that you just stole my ideas. And I've had candidates yeah. before where they weren't the best candidate for the role at all. And then they just proactively sent me like, here's what my 30, 60, 90 would be. Or like, here's a campaign idea I have for you. And I was like, I will never run this campaign now. Even if I was thinking about the same thing, I'm never going to do it because I don't want you to think that I stole your idea. You know, you just, you can't, if I, if I were in a position where I really wanted to work for a company and they wanted me to do like a homework assignment that I knew could be something they could just run with and use, I would bill them for my time and I would triple my rate because mm-hmm. I'm building something that they can implement themselves. Or I would send them like an anonymized high level version that could not be actually instituted. I think it's, I'm a capitalist to my core, but I think that companies have a social responsibility not to be assholes. And when you do that, you're an asshole. And there are people who will interview just to get like, they'll take an interview with a candidate at a competitor just to pry them for information. It happens. Like I've seen it. I was in the corporate world for a little bit and I've seen it happen. And it's not it just doesn't it's and not ethical. It's skeevy. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't like that. I like yeah. your answer though. Walk <laughs> or give like an anonymized Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Your value is I think it also just sets it sets precedent for perhaps 
for them to walk to walk over you. I think it's a red flag in a company if mm-hmm. they're if they're going to ask you to do something that isn't like isn't short time box and can't be used at all. There's a lot of shitty companies out there, you know. And I think that's what the layoffs <laughs> are also showing us that there are these companies where no matter. I actually was listening to another podcast this morning. Nintendo has never had a layoff in their like, you know, however many years of existing, they've never had a layoff. Yeah. You don't have to lay off employees. Like I've seen companies that have cut, they've called it a layoff and they've cut like 15 workers. And then when you start asking around, it's like, well, they weren't really that good. And they're just using it as a way to get rid of people. You know, you don't have to lay off. Like you, there's a lot of companies I think that, want to act like they care about their employees when it comes to hard times. They cut, they cut ERGs, they cut DEI initiatives, they cut things that they feel aren't like contributing to their top line, but that can hurt employees, especially when you're trying to build a healthy workforce, you know? Yeah. And they rarely cut executives. Yeah. And that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. That's a fact. (laughs) fact. Also, another fact, I was reading an article about these current layoffs and it was the number like six percent or seven percent comes up a lot like six percent of the company has been laid off kind of across the board for a lot of companies and that number is made up like apparently in b2b SaaS, especially they kind of wait until someone sets the trend so maybe it was google i don't remember who had like the first big mass layoffs but they did around six percent and then others are like oh we're gonna do the same Essentially, that was what this article said. And I was like, and they had the data to back it up. And I was like, wow, we've really just made up this reality. Yeah, I was at, uh, I'll just like, just throw everyone out. I was at a company that did a layoff and they said that it was a, it was a 6% layoff. It was 6-7%. Said the same thing. But they did layoffs every week for six weeks. (laughs) And so it ended up being like 35, 40% of the company. Like entire departments were let go. And after one of the waves, they had a meeting and said, layoffs are done. Don't worry. Like, we're good. We can't guarantee it won't happen again because, like, business has to turn around. But, you know, we're good. And then, like, three days later, another, like, five people were laid off. So, yeah, it's 6%, but it's 6% continuously, like, every week. Like, you got to add that up. You don't average You don't average out the percentage laid off at each layoff, you know, and call it one big layoff. Like, you got to add it up. Yeah. Yeah, but there's wow. there's a bot. I think B2B is hit differently than I think for B2B it feels different too because so many of these companies are fast growth startups. I think you compare it to though like some consumer brands, some D2C consumer brands are similar, but a lot of these B2B companies they're building really really fast and they they have an aggressive a very aggressive growth target they're trying to hit that is probably unrealistic and oftentimes they take a stupid big amount of initial funding. So the only way to hit their, to keep their valuation growing is to hit this like really large number that doesn't make sense. And they just hire, you know, willy nilly with no regard. Like, I feel like when you hire an employee, my approach is when you hire an employee, when you manage an employee, like you're committing yourself to long-term for that person. Because if you're a bad manager, you can fuck their life up beyond Mm -hmm. just work. You can really do damage. You know, you have responsibility and these companies are just... They're like, oh no, we hired too fast. Oopsie daisy. Like, listen, we'll help. We'll we'll help you with your resume. We'll like put it out to our network. Like, we'll help you find another job. Well, shit, maybe you shouldn't have hired so fast. Yeah, I think one of the 
most stark examples of that was I was like pretty obsessed with the WeWork thing for a while. I read this book called The Cult of We and and then watch. No, I didn't watch. I listened to We Crash. So I just kind of like knew a lot about it. And it actually taught me before I joined my current job, which is a startup, that there are a lot of questions that I needed to ask about the finances and like, are you crazy hiring like is that something that you care about because if you care about headcount then you care about nothing it's like yeah that's a bs metric yeah Um, there's so many companies that care about headcount as like their growth metric but headcount your company growing should be because your company is doing the right things to grow like growth and headcount is an outcome of you doing the right things for your company to grow not the input to it i love to see i'd love to see a like 400 person org that doesn't have leveling or like a roles and responsibilities matrix for any functions that doesn't have job descriptions. It's like, oh yeah, you guys just hired. You just hired to hire. <laughs> like you don't know what you need. You're just, you're yeah. just raw dogging life right now in the yep. worst way possible. Gross. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any other B2B conspiracy theories? Oh, I'm sure I could come up with some, but I think I've run out for now. I have a conspiracy theory and I've been talking a little bit recently about the marketing Illuminati, which started as like a funny term, but I'm like, I'm buying into it right now. I think a lot of the stuff that we're told is a B2B best practice is complete bullshit. Just complete bullshit. If you look at social media, content performance on social media, when you look at your stats, if you compare video versus image, I found often image crushes it. Video doesn't do best on platform. There's not a lot of platforms it does. I've been running, since 2007, I have been running paid social campaigns. I have spent, if not over, close to a billion dollars. You spend like 30, 40 million a year on Facebook for a short period of time. Video never outperformed, never outperformed static creative ever. GIFs might get a little GIF in there that might crush it, but video has never been better than other than other mediums, but we act like video is the end all be all to everything. A lot of the best practices that come from say Chris Walker (laughs) and company. Oh God, that's the Illuminati. Oh no. (laughs) No, but a lot of it is like, yeah. Oh no, I didn't say that. Um, A lot of what we hear in these same conferences from these same people, it's someone who joined a company that had a really good product market fit and the company was really, really successful. And they helped them get there. They didn't do nothing, but they helped them get there. But their success is not because of these three things that they did. Their success is because they had a great product with great product market fit. They had an amazing sales team that was really aggressive. And they probably spend over $100,000 a month in advertising. And they don't tell you that. Like That is what makes them successful. And that thing that makes them successful is not what they're selling to you. And I think when we see fitness influencers do it, we see it. We see it's bullshit, right? You're not going to get a six pack with six minutes of crunches a day. We see it. We know it's bullshit. We don't buy into it. But on the B2B side, we buy into it. And we go, oh yeah, I just need to blah, blah, blah. I just need to use more video. If I use more video, everything's going to be fine. If I just get my, my CEO to put out thought leadership content on LinkedIn, bam, done. When it's so much more nuanced to be successful, it's not this like quick, easy formula. And you have this group of marketers that are really prominent that keep saying the same thing and they repeat each other's story to to their audiences. 
And so they add credibility to it. And so now we have a world where B2B best practices are often just like completely wrong, especially if you're a smaller company or starting out, especially if you don't have advertising budget. And we just, we just let it, we just let people say dumb shit and don't hold them accountable for it being dumb shit. I think it's definitely like it's self-sustaining those best best practices where like, okay, I used to write blogs, content marketer background. So you're looking for a stat, you find a stat, you click into that stat. It takes you to another page that references that stat from a wholly like yeah. different study. And it's just like we've all just created a truth where this is true because we keep referencing each other. And yeah. it's like an echo chamber in this stat. And I think we're doing the same thing in marketing where it's like these three people with a huge platform say that yeah. these things work. And then they don't give details. They're just like, do more video. And maybe they maybe they actually did a, a Forrester Wave report yeah. or some <laughs> other situation where they paid an analyst firm to confirm the thing that they say is true. And right. then because the analyst firm said it, they're now quoting the analyst firm for it, but really they're saying like Gartner saying it because you spend $300,000 a year with Gartner. Mm -hmm. We create yeah. our own reality yeah. and these best practices for sure. And I, I am a little bit, so I do organic social and I've become a little bit of a truther on organic when someone talks about, <laughs> they're like, Oh, look at this crazy growth that we had on our company page company pages aren't dead whatever and they'll they will have crazy growth and i'll be like but was it organic like no one is saying i think that marketers are a little tight-lipped on those like the actual nuance like you said they'll give best practices but they won't give their step-by-step -step. no no they won't share it they'll say that conver uh, conversation ads on linkedin which i will say compared to other forms performed a little better. Like lead generation ads on LinkedIn perform better than if you promote a piece of content going to your website. Okay. Anything that stays on platform will do better. But it's not like the magic bullet that solves things. But when you have companies that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on that ad unit, and they have all this data to prove that ad unit works because they've spent so much money on it, but they never tell you what they're spending. They just tell you the end result. Like that's what I think having seen the back ends of a lot of companies through different roles and just people that I know, that's where I think a lot of it comes down to how much are you spending? Because let me tell you what, if you are running paid advertising on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, any of those platforms, your organic performance is going to increase. Your organic performance will do better because you're doing paid advertising. And when you have your, your stats on your report and you filter out paid advertising so no one sees it, it's just going to look like you found a magic bullet and you're crushing it. Like, what are you spending? What are you actually spending? Show <laughs> Tell me. Tell us the truth. Yeah. Show me your your Facebook account balance. Yeah. Show me your monthly spend. What about your emails? Yeah. Oh, what's your click-through rate? What's your unsubscribe rate? <laughs> Who are you hitting? Who are you hitting in your email? Yeah, it is It is really easy to... That's, we have to be like stewards of data, right? Like... I. Karina Owen says this a lot, and I agree with it, where we have this power to use data for good or bad. And like mm -hmm. something could be like the way that you calculate it, a 300% rise, or you can make it look like 3000%. Like there's yeah. just ways to make you look like you're doing so much better than you are. And I, 
I just think marketers, like, we're guilty of this just by nature of our jobs. <laughs> we want everything to look rosy. Yeah, we want to want to do a good job. We want to be hitting our goals, you know, because what happens if you don't? Every time that there's a bump in the marketplace, marketing gets cut. It's one of the first functions to go. And then you end up with these roles. I think especially social media and content creation, you end up with this like hybrid role where you have a person who's like doing content and doing social media and doing community management and doing paid advertising and oh, also internal comms and PR and brand. And you just, you do everything and people think that one person can do it all. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all sales fault. It's all, it's all sales. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. I actually love our sales team. I yeah. I don't have a marketing background. So when I came into marketing, I didn't know about the like the animosity or whatever, yeah. the friction. And I still don't really get it because I've only ever worked with like the nicest salespeople ever. I think that uh, in B2B, in startups especially, when everyone sits in the same room, it's a totally different experience. Then like when you're a really large company and you have these like really large functions and it's, there's not, there's not as much coordination between the two. Um, I think, I mean, from, from when I came into marketing like 20 years ago at this point, uh, I think the sales marketing relationship has changed a lot. It's a lie. They want you to believe that sales and marketing don't get along. It's another Illuminati lie. Yeah. 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 So they can sell you a product. To make your sales and marketing alignment better. Mm -hmm. I do like, I do, yeah. I, I think uh, this whole marketing Illuminati thing, though, is real a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely, we create our own celebrities and then we buy into it. And then yeah. At a certain point, we just can't. I've had to do some of that, especially being new to the B2B space, um, really buying into those best practices because I didn't know where to start. And then kind of realizing on my own just through experience that what works for them is not going to work yeah. for me. But not no one ever says that like no one warns you no one no one tells <laughs> like you, it's you not were as, saying yeah it's not as it's not as easily visible to to recognize that it's that it's and you want to believe it too because it is hard like it's a lot of testing and just figuring out what works for your audience and it would be lovely if there was a roadmap you know and if yeah. you want to believe how did you how did you end up in marketing what made you come over to the marketing side I have been doing like kind of a combination of different part-time jobs and some nonprofit. And then I worked at a university as a temp. And I just like absolutely could not stand the last temp job that I had. My partner had the opportunity to take a job that was like basically 100% travel. And we were just like, okay, I'll quit and go. Wait, I mean, not to the nice, like, it was to like Arkansas, sorry to people in oh. Arkansas, Missouri. <laughs> I liked them, but I'm saying I was in like Paris or whatever. Uh, no, that's literally what yeah. my brain was like, Paris, Italy, you know, No, I want to set the record straight. It was like Cincinnati, <laughs> like places in Arkansas, Columbia, You're Missouri. You've seen a, a lot of, a lot of the U.S. I have seen a lot of the U.S., but that kind of set me on a like, well, I'll figure out freelancing maybe, do some freelance writing. And I got connected with someone who connected me with someone. I was doing some blog posts and stuff. And then I did find a full-time job. And I really liked it, but I was still doing freelancing on the side for an agency. And then they just asked me to join as a content strategist because they liked what I was doing. And I was like, okay, you know, I can't say no. Um, And that just set me on the path. 
I don't think anyone intentionally goes into marketing. No, I've not really met anyone who's that's not a college theory. For that. Yeah, it's yeah. a conspiracy theory. What do you do if you go to school for marketing? I wonder. I wonder what those people do because they don't do marketing. Mass communication, <laughs> maybe. But maybe. I feel like often, I didn't. Yeah. What did you study? I was history and political science, and then I even have a master's degree that I'm not using in peace and conflict studies. <laughs> Whoa. Does that help, though, with, like, conflict resolution at work? I think it would if I ever really experienced it. But more than anything, I think it just helps me understand systems. Yeah. <laughs> systems of oppression. It just, like, it helps me be more discerning, I think, in the way that I approach what I write, the way that we communicate with people. I think it has helped some, but I'm certainly not using it in the way I thought I would. Yeah. I did an undergraduate in industrial engineering and supply chain management. I have a master's in business analytics. Ooh. So I, I did a master's in dashboarding, essentially, creating creating presentations, a lot of Tableau dashboards. But I, I think that our formal education can help build us as people and then it help, it does influence how I think we show up in in the workforce. But it's not always like a direct correlation. It's not a conspiracy theory. Higher education. Oh, God. I mean. <laughs> that's, that's for another episode. Higher than what? Oh, well, this has been very, very enjoyable, though. It has been fun talking conspiracy theories. Thank you so yeah. much for joining the podcast. Uh, if you're listening and you have a marketing conspiracy theory, please tell us about it. If you're on YouTube in the comments below, if you're not on YouTube, I don't know, message me on LinkedIn. I want to hear about it though. Don't tell the Illuminati we're talking about them, please. Yeah. Also. And you can keep it anon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't exist. We're not real people anyways. It's all robots. Uh -uh. Yeah. We're AI. We're actually chat GPT. Sentient. Yeah. Two yeah. sentient chat sentient. GPTs. Talking to each other. We're we're chat HPT. I don't know what the G in GPT stands for, but the H is human. Is oh, I like that. Yeah, I actually don't know what chat GPT stands for at all. I don't know something something nerds. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great spot to end it. Just right on nerds. <laughs> this was fun.